Alicia Caldwell Rice said in regards to worrying, ain't no use putting up your umbrella till it rains. Think about that. Ain't no use putting up your umbrella till it rains. Let me ask you this question. When was the last time you worried about something that never happened? The famous philosopher of the Renaissance period, Michael de Montaigne, said, My life has been filled with terrible misfortune, most of which never happened. Mark Twain, the wisecracker, was always good for something similar, and he said this, says, I'm an old man and have known a great many troubles, but most of them never happened. I think most of us, maybe all of us, have experienced the very same thing, haven't we? The truth is, the vast majority of what we worry about never happens. We're continuing a Bible study of the extended teaching of Jesus that has come to be called the Sermon on the Mount, which runs from Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. And in the passage we'll be looking at today, Jesus is going to talk with us about what we have our life resting on as a foundation for peace and security. Worrying, or the lack of it, is an indication of where our trust lies, where our affections are, where our treasure is. Let's begin reading in Matthew 6, verse 19. Jesus said this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin or rust or corrosion destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin or rust and corrosion do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus begins his examination of where we get our security in this life by contrasting treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. And he tells us to store up our treasures in heaven rather than here on earth because treasures on earth are vulnerable. They are unreliable. They don't last. Treasures on earth corrode. They diminish in value. They can be lost. They can be taken from us. Treasures in heaven last forever. They never diminish in value. They can't be lost. They can't be taken away. Well, what are treasures on earth? Our material possessions, our material wealth, our positions. The things in this world we are trusting in for security and fulfillment. That's what treasures on earth are. What are treasures in heaven? And how do we store our treasures in heaven? Well, everything to do with our relationship with God and His kingdom are treasures in heaven. They're what will come with us beyond this life. It includes a godly character, good deeds, acts of kindness, sacrifices made for others' needs, God-pleasing influence that we have in other people's lives. The next verses help explain and answer this question for us, really. Verse 21 in particular says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our heart is inherently drawn to where our treasure is. What do we value most? What do we love most? What can we not bear the thought of losing? What is the most important thing 
in our life. How we answer these kinds of questions helps to reveal for us where our treasure is. Jesus tells a story in the Gospel of Luke about a man who stored up his treasure on earth rather than on heaven. Over in Luke chapter 12, you can flip over there if you'd like. Luke 12, beginning in verse 15, Jesus said this to the people that were there. He said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I will say to myself, you've plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. This story reminds us of how unpredictable life can be. It can be taken from us at any time in an unexpected moment. No matter how young we are, no matter how healthy we are, life is fragile and it can be taken from us unexpectedly. This story reminds us of the importance of doing as Jesus is telling us to do, to store up our treasures in heaven rather than on earth. What we have on earth is temporary. This story reminds us to be on our guard against all kinds of greed, Jesus says in verse 15. This story reminds us that real life does not consist in an abundance of possessions, Jesus says in verse 15. This story reminds us of the importance of being rich toward God, Jesus says in verse 21. Andy Stanley said, greed is not a financial issue, it's a heart issue. Paul gives us some helpful direction in his first letter to Timothy about how to store up treasures in heaven. Over in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, he writes this. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world. And I would say that most of us are considered rich in this present world in comparison to somebody. So this scripture speaks to all of us. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. He tells us we're to be humble, remembering that everything we have is a gift from God. We're not to put our hope in our wealth, which is so uncertain, but in the Lord. He's the one who provides us with what we need and the one that we depend on for everything, really. We're to be rich in good deeds, he tells us, to be generous, to be willing to share. And he tells us here that living in this way will be storing up treasure in heaven. 
and taking hold of the deeper, richer, more meaningful life. Verse 22 and 23, over in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus continues his teaching. He says, The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? These verses can be confusing and difficult to understand. To help us, we need to remember to take into consideration the context of this passage. What is being said in the verses before these verses? And what is being said in the verses that follow these verses? These verses need to fit into that context. So the general context of what is being talked about in this passage here is what we've just looked at about treasure on earth versus treasure in heaven. And what will be talked about after these verses is about being under the influence and the control of material wealth or the Lord. So let's look at these verses here and work our way through these. The, the eye is the lamp of the body. When we think of a lamp, we usually think of something that produces light. Now, in this analogy, the word translated lamp is not being used in quite that way. Instead, in these verses, think of this lamp as something that lets light in, similar to a window. And in fact, if we insert the word window in place of the word lamp, the analogy is a little easier for us to follow with the way that we understand the way eyes work. The eye is the window of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. Healthy eyes are windows that are wide open and clear, allowing unobstructed light to come into your body. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. Unhealthy eyes are windows that have the curtains drawn, so to speak, preventing light from entering into your body, making it dark inside. If, then, the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Or to say it another way, if no light is able to come into your body through the windows, it's going to be truly dark inside of you. So now, putting this analogy into the context of the passage, it's saying, the person with healthy eyes is the person who is wide open and free in regard to material wealth's influence, on them. They are generous, willing to share, looking to the needs of others, seeing everything that they have as a gift from the Lord. And as a result, they are a person who is at peace rather than worrying, trusting in the Lord for their well-being. The person with unhealthy eyes is a person who is closed off and bound by their material wealth, their stingy Greedy, envious, covetous. They are a person who has their security built on the uncertainty of material wealth rather than on the eternal security of the foundation of the Lord. The darkness can be very great in a person who is under the control of material wealth. Over in 1 Timothy 6, 9, Paul wrote this, Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. It should be noted that the amount of material wealth a person has is not the issue here, but the influence material wealth has on a person. A person with a very little can be as much under the control and influence of material wealth as a person possessing a great deal, and it can do great damage to them. So verse 24, Jesus says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, the Greek word translated into English as money here means more than just money. It means money, riches, treasure, wealth, earthly goods, possessions. It includes whatever material stuff that we have in this world from which we can find provision and comfort and security. All of that stuff. The old English Bibles used to use the word mammon rather than money to help get across this fuller meaning of the word that is here, mammonas. Jesus tells us we must choose which one we're going to ultimately be loyal to and trust in, God or mammon. Jesus goes so far as to say that we will love one and hate the other. We will be devoted to one and despise the other. There will be no middle ground. They have divergent goals. Whichever one we choose will ultimately be the thing that we serve. It will be the thing that motivates us in life. The thing that provides us with a sense of peace and security and well-being. Whether that sense is true or false, we will be drawing a sense of peace and security and well-being from the one that we have chosen. How tight of a grip does material wealth have on us? It can be a deceptively powerful thing. Jesus, he understood the false sense of power that wealth can create in a person. The sense of entitlement and privilege, the pride, the confidence in self over trusting in the Lord. Jesus understood how we use wealth to measure our value as a human being and put ourselves above or below others with it. Somebody once said, it's difficult to save money when your neighbor keeps buying things you can't afford. God doesn't measure our worth based on our material possessions. He doesn't want us measuring ourselves or others by that standard either. Hebrews 13.5 says, Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. The replacement for the love of money is love for the Lord. The replacement for the false sense of security and power that wealth gives us is the eternal promise that God has given us that He will never leave us or forsake us. He is our security. 
We trust in His power and His provision. Dependence on material wealth rather than God produces worry. Which is what Jesus talks about in this next passage. Worrying reveals a reliance on ourself rather than on God and an attachment to treasures on earth over treasures in heaven. Verse 25, he says this, Therefore, considering what I have just told you, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Jesus, he's going to give us two examples in this passage to help us understand the love and care our Heavenly Father has for us and that we don't need to worry. The first example, he will use birds, and the second example, he'll use wildflowers. But before we get into those, just to make sure no one here misunderstands what Jesus is teaching this passage when he says to not worry about our life, he's not saying for us to cast responsibility to the wind and live our lives foolishly. He's not saying for us to prop our feet up, spend our days scrolling through our social media feeds and waiting for the doorbell to ring to tell us that we are the publisher's clearinghouse big winner. That's not what he means by not worrying. In order to correctly understand any single part of the Bible, we need to put it into the context of the whole Bible. So, for example, in this situation, the book of Proverbs has a truckload of teachings about not being lazy, about working hard, about planning and preparing for the rainy days that will come, about making wise investments, about being frugal. 2 Thessalonians 3.10, Paul wrote this to the church in Thessalonica, For even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, the one who is unwilling to work shall not eat. We hear that some among you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy, they're busy bodies. Such people we command and urge in the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and earn the food they eat. The Bible teaches us that we are to work hard and trust God for the harvest. So in verse 26 of Matthew 6, Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? The little birds are not considered to be worth very much. But our Heavenly Father feeds them. We are much more valuable than they are to Him. If our Heavenly Father takes care of these little birds, He'll certainly take care of us. Jesus reminds us too in verse 27 of how unproductive worrying is. We can expend a tremendous amount of thought and energy worrying, but it accomplishes nothing. Someone has said that worrying is like a rocking chair. It keeps us occupied, but it doesn't get us anywhere. Corey ten Boom said, 
Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. Verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? Jesus said. See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? The flowers being talked about here are the little wildflowers that we find growing in the fields, which can be so beautiful when they are in bloom, but their life is extremely short as they quickly dry up and die in the summer heat. If our Heavenly Father has such tremendous abundance that He clothes these little wildflowers with such beauty, how much more can we be assured of His provision for us, His children? Jesus says, you have little faith. And we have to confess that He's right in calling us that. We are people of little faith, aren't we? We prove it by the amount of worrying we do. Lord, help us to trust you more. Help us to make you our firm foundation. Help us to put our confidence in you rather than in ourselves. Help us remember your great love for us. Thirty-one. So do not worry, saying. What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your Heavenly Father knows that you need them. Jesus suggests that worrying is something a person who doesn't have God in their life does. They don't know any better. They don't know your Heavenly Father and what He's like. Worrying shouldn't be a part of our life, though. We know our Heavenly Father, and our Heavenly Father knows that we need and what we need before we even ask. Our Heavenly Father, He's not forgotten us. He's not gotten distracted with other things. He's not passed us off to an incompetent assistant. He handles our case personally. We're His child. Verse 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Rather than worry, we're to do this. What he says in this verse, we are to seek God's kingdom and righteousness. We're to put our energy into growing in our relationship with the Lord, becoming more like him in character, and participating in his good work in this world. And as we make him the center and purpose of our life, All of these other things will be given to us. Our Father knows what we need and He will provide for us. Finally, verse 34, He says, Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We spend so much time and energy worrying about things that might happen tomorrow which never end up happening. We got our umbrella out before it ever rains. 
rather than worrying about all of the things that might happen in the future, Jesus tells us to concern ourselves with today. He says there's enough troubles in this day. We don't need to go looking for more troubles in days that aren't even here yet and may never come. George MacDonald wrote this. It has been said well that no man ever sank under the burden of the day. It is when tomorrow's burden is added to the burden of today that the weight is more than a man can bear. Never load yourself so, my friends. If you find yourself so loaded, at least remember this. It is your own doing, not God's. He begs you to leave the future to Him and mind the present. As the saying goes, which came from Jesus, live one day at a time. In closing this morning, we've been challenged by Jesus today to not worry. Worrying or the lack of it is an indication of where our focus is, of where our trust is, of where our affections are, of where our treasure is. Jesus reminds us of how important we are to our Heavenly Father and how He's promised to always take care of us. Mary C. Crowley said, Every evening I turn my worries over to God. He's going to be up all night anyway. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your good words. We thank you for your reminder about how much our Heavenly Father loves us and cares for us and is taking care of us. Lord Jesus, we are indeed a people of little faith. Help us, Lord, to trust. Help us to build our life on you rather than our own material possessions and wealth and ingenuity. To store up our treasure in heaven rather than here on earth. Fill us with your peace with your joy. Help us to cast all our anxiety on you because you care for us. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.